long week. I know uh, we've had some of you were like, what is going on around here? Everybody's talking about what a long week it's been. Well, in case you missed it, we, we had an incredible uh, week of putting Bibles together. Uh, over 25,000 Chichewa New Testaments were assembled last week here at HBF, and uh, we have that container. We don't always park trailers out front. We try not to do that if we can, but uh, we, have a, uh, we have a trailer out front full of Chichewa Bibles, so we're excited about that. So today, I'm just going to take this Sunday to, to do uh, something that we don't normally do, and that's celebrate giving. And before you go, oh no, and get nervous and start holding on to your pockets and stuff, that's not what we're going to do. In fact, I, I just want to encourage you, first of all, by saying, man, God, this is such a giving church, uh, not just in financial ways, but in every way. So I really wanted to celebrate that. Uh, and, uh, you know, this week was a good example of that, as everyone invested their time, their talent, and their treasure in assembling the Word of God, which is the most precious thing uh, outside of, well, it, the word, God's words. I mean, what else? It's, it's exalted above His name. So, I mean, that's what we're investing in, and we're excited about that. And so, uh, we're trusting God to safely uh, get that container uh, to Midtown for the clothing distribution, and then on to Malawi, and then in February, by God's grace, uh, myself and hopefully some others of you will join Mark Trotter in, in Malawi, and we'll be able to distribute those New Testaments. So, that'll be an exciting time so be praying for all of that and to prime the pump on our celebration of blessing on the blessing of giving i want to i want to do this i want to toss out a t-shirt right because uh well i forgot to do this wednesday night so uh so i don't know i may have lost the inertia right because it's like well brian that was last week you know how it is in our culture everything moves on so you're ready for something new but i wanted to i wanted to just say this uh i always start with a question so i have a question today and if you have the answer this is how it's got to roll. You got to stand up first and say the answer. So saying the answer from your seat doesn't count. You got to stand up. And if you, even if you're elderly, I'm going to tell you right now. You can stand up right now, and we'll wait for the answer if you know the answer. <laughs> there are exemptions, all right. And I'll just be the judge of it. So some of y'all I know can't jump up, but if you can jump up, um, I need to know this: How many overall Bibles, New Testaments, did we assemble? The number. Do you know? Whoa, Dottie Bartlett. Yes. That, I'm not going to. Here, I'll throw this to Dale because I don't feel comfortable tossing that like I normally do. So, uh, so now that looks staged, but God is witness. It was not. That was exact. I was just, I don't, that's awesome, Dottie. How many of, you, how many of the others of you knew that? Okay, a few others. I'm glad Dottie got a t-shirt. How about you? Praise God. And uh, amen. That's awesome. But uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation 3.18. Because I, there's something in regard to stewardship that's even more and much more important than, than what we just talked about. Uh, but it all does tie together in some way. Because we just had a presentation on, you know, financial stewardship and things like that. And, and, and it is a good time to do that. Uh, and to give you a state of the union, all things considered with COVID and everything, our church is, is really doing much better than many other churches, so we're really thankful to the Lord for that. But as a, as a pastor, my primary responsibility is really to, to steward the church. I'm here to equip the saints of God and the Word of God to accomplish the mission of God and the power of God for the glory of God. And what's, what, there's some counsel that's offered us in the book of Revelation. This won't blow you away. Many of you know this. But if you have your Bible, Revelation chapter 3 Let's stand together. You've been sitting. Let's stand together. Let's read Revelation 3 together, verses 17 and 18. I want us to listen to the counsel of the Lord. 
because we have a tendency to misplace our priorities. The Lord says this to the Laodicean church age in Revelation 3 and verse 17, Because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods, and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable, and poor and blind and naked, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed, that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear, and anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you this morning for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for the opportunity to hear your word, to read your word, to live out your word. I pray a blessing on the reading, the hearing, the living, the application of the word of God. We thank you and praise you for this great week that we've had, assembling the word of God and sending it. Uh, It's much more precious than uh, gold or silver. And Lord, uh, as we go into this uh, topic today of, of having a uh, seeing the blessings of giving help help our hearts to really be where they need to be in regard to just understanding your nature understanding your blessings and understanding uh, your glory we thank you and we praise you and we ask this in jesus name amen you may be seated and so the end of that passage i didn't read the next verse there's a rebuke that's offered uh jesus says as many as i love i rebuke and chasten be zealous therefore and repent and and so we don't want to be those folks uh, God has counsel for us in this age, and it's investment counsel. And so this, is, this morning, I want to take some time to talk about the blessing of giving. As Paul spoke the last time uh, to the Ephesian elders gathered at Miletus, he said this. He said, I have showed you all things, how that so laboring you ought to support the weak. Remember the words of our Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And this morning, I want to just take three attributes on giving related to God. The first is God's giving nature, God's giving nature. And so in James 1.17, the Bible says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning. So if it were, if it were not for God, we wouldn't know the blessing of giving or receiving. We wouldn't even understand the concept of giving because giving is really God's nature. God gives us our life right? Physically, he gives us our life. In Genesis 2, 7, the Bible tells us that God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into our nostrils the breath of life, and we became a living soul. Psalms 103 says that, that ye know that, uh, know ye that the Lord, he is God, and it is he that made us, and as not ourselves, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. I mean, he has, he has made us, he has created us, he has formed us. Isaiah 64, 8 says, but now, O Lord, thou art our father, we are the clay, and thou art the potter. We uh, all are the work of thy hand. Right? Red and yellow, black and white. Right? We are all made precious because he's the one who formed us out of the clay. I mean, he, he formed us out of the dust, and he has molded us and made us. And then in Matthew, Jesus speaking there in Matthew, says, Which of you, by taking thought, can add one cubit unto his stature? The man that said that spoke the worlds into existence. Right? And we're so limited, right? Without him, we can do nothing. So physically, he creates everything. He spoke the worlds into existence. He forms us out of the dust of the ground. And spiritually, of course, most importantly, uh, even, even when that gets messed up, he can correct it. Now, you'll notice in Genesis 2-7, I, I quoted a verse earlier uh, that said, The Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground. But there's a comma there, right? That's the first part of it. That's the physical creation. And then it says, And God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul, right? He, and he, he literally... Uh, he really breathed life into, uh, into, into Adam and into humanity. We're not just inanimate, inanimate objects. There's something about the soul. This last couple of weeks, or this last couple of days, we've had Terry Wilson's 
uh, father passed, and then last week Kim, Kim Marl's mother passed. And Man, that's a tough time when we lose a loved one. The body goes, but there's, there's a soul connection, isn't there? There's a connection we know, we just intuitively know, even lost people. I was at the graveyard yesterday doing a funeral myself, and, and as, I, as we drove to the, to, the, uh, to the plot where we were going to lay this uh, dear lady to rest, there was a, a person sitting out at the graveside, just sitting at the dirt. Someone had recently passed you know, within the last several months because the dirt was still there and there hadn't been any grass grown. And she's just sitting there cross-legged, you know, picking the grass, talking, reflecting. Not, she wasn't ready to dig up the corpse, right? She, she knew there was something. I don't know if she was a Christian or not, but she knew that there was something about that person, something that was much more significant, right, than even their physical presence. Because we all know that God has given us life. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Bible says, And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul. The last Adam was made a quickening spirit. Right, So the issue that God's, God's power is able to quicken us, to bring us to life. Jesus, uh, Jesus is the last Adam. Uh, we call him the second Adam sometimes, but really the Bible is, very, is much more specific. Your King James Bible is much more specific in saying the last Adam. There's never going to be another Jesus because he's the, the one and only. Right? Uh, he is the first and the last. He's the beginning and the end. He is, he is God. And Ephesians 2.1 says about us who have received the gospel, it says, And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins. So God is not only able to create physical life and give it a soul, he's able to take those that have been fallen in the fallen nature of Adam's image, because we know that Adam sinned in the garden and therefore affected all of humanity. And though we had the likeness of Adam, the image of Christ in Adam was lost until the image of God appeared. And that is Christ Jesus, the express image of God. And he's able, because of his death, burial, and resurrection, uh, and the power of the gospel, the good news that God has, is on a mission for us, that, that he is able to quicken us and bring us to life when we call upon the name of the Lord. Man, what an, what an exchange. You give out your dirty breath, and God gives you the Spirit of God. Man, you call upon the name of the Lord to be saved, and the Bible teaches he comes in you, and he quickens you, he brings you to life. He resurrects dead people. And, uh, and so in John 10, in verse 10, the Bible says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life, and they might have it more abundantly. Man, God is the author of life, and man, he is the one who can restore life. Praise God for that. So, how did he do that? Well, God gave us his life. God gave us his life. The Father, uh, first God gives us our life, right? I pointed that out, but, but you know what? He also gave us his life to restore our life. So, the Father gave his Son to redeem us. In Genesis 22, 8, you'll know the story of Abraham and Isaac. I, uh, as they go up to the mount, this is what Abraham said to his son. He says, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them together. You know what Abraham knew? He knew that God was a giver. God was a giver. In John 3, you guys know the passage, Jesus himself is speaking to Nicodemus, and he's trying to explain to him what he's doing and why he is more than a teacher come from God. Right? Uh, he tells him, You must be born again, Nicodemus. And he busts into a discussion of the Old Testament, and he says that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave, gave, gave his only begotten Son. Now, we know that verse so much, we don't often think about really the impact of that. God so loved the world, a sin-wrecked world. 
a world that hates him, a world that even today scoffs and mocks at him. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's how much he loves the world. That's how much he loves you. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And Romans 8.32 says, And he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? So God gives us freely all things. I mean, our salvation is so incredible. The gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ is so comprehensive. It's, it's almost, it's unbelievable. it seems unbelievable, but it's true. If we think God is holding out on us, we don't even understand God. We don't even we don't have a clue of the gift that God has given. When we talk about receiving the gift of eternal life, we're talking about receiving Jesus Christ. The magnitude of the gift and the giver is so enormous that it bears just kind of stopping and we could just stop right there. I mean, really, that's all we got to think about is, wow, God is such a, a loving God. He's such a giving God. His nature is that of giving. But it didn't just you know, start with the Father. The Son gave His life for us. The Son gave His life uh, for the will of the Father. He laid down His will so that the Father's will could be accomplished. But in Ephesians 5, 2, the Bible says, And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us. This is practical. So emulate what Jesus did. Uh, and hath given Himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. So it behooves us then to be givers. Why? Because it tells us that well, Christ was a giver, and we are to walk like Christ if you're born again this morning. In John 10, the Bible says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Not every shepherd's a good shepherd. In John 10, in verse 15, the same chapter, Jesus goes on to say, And as the Father knoweth me, even so know I the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He's, he's pointing out that, hey, this is my fruition. I am willingly doing this. Jesus was not coerced. He wasn't, uh, he wasn't, you know, he didn't have his arm behind his back. He willingly, of his own volition, obeyed the Father and gave his life because he loved the Father and the Father loved the world. And, well, and we should do the same. There's something about giving that has to be, well, of our free will. As Gwaine was pointing out, a cheerful giver. In Romans 5, the Bible says in verse 6, For when, we're, when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one yet die, or yeah, one die. Yet peradventure for a good man, some would even dare to die. But God commendeth his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Man, I mean, he is so incredible. He gave his life before we even made a decision before we even heard the gospel, before we were even born. I mean, that's some serious love. So God not only gives his son, he gives his spirit. He promised his spirit in John 15, 26. But when the comforter is come, the third part of the Godhead, uh, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. That's John 15, 26. Now, God, not only did he make that promise, not only did Jesus make the promise of the Spirit, God delivered the Spirit. What a, man, ding, ding, Amazon, here's the Spirit of God. 
Acts chapter 2, the Spirit of God indwells the church, and now we're promised. When you accept Christ as Savior, the Bible teaches you're baptized. Literally, Christ comes into you, and you are in Christ. The Spirit of God indwells you the moment you get saved. And so uh, the Bible teaches in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 22, who hath also, that he has sealed us, who hath also sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. So God's Holy Spirit is in our hearts. What happens is it's like the down payments, like we, we call it a down payment, but earnest money really means that when you go out to get your mortgage, because everybody's buying and selling homes right now, earnest money is this. You got enough collateral to cover the loan. You're good for the 250000 the 100000 the 40000 whatever you're putting, whatever house you're buying. I don't know, can you buy a house for 40000 You can't even buy a truck anymore. It's ridiculous. Things are getting so high. I'm getting old. But, uh, but anyway, the point is, is that when you put that money down, you're good for it. Our salvation, God is good for it. He seals the deal with the third person of the Godhead dwelling in you, sealing your soul until the day of redemption. Brian's mine. Put your name in the blank. If you're born again, he's, she is mine. I've sealed it. It's done. Not only does God give us uh, his spirit, he didn't just give us his son, he didn't just give us his spirit if you're born again, but he also, as I've already mentioned, gives us his word. Psalm 68, 11 says, The Lord gave the word. Great was the company of those that published it. I just preached on that last Sunday night. 1 Peter 1, 25 says, But the word of the Lord endureth just for a little while. No, it endureth forever. So God has given us the eternal word. It's amazing. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. And it's given to us, this is important, 1 Peter 1, 25, that we may give it to others also. Oh, now you're going somewhere, Brian. I know, finally. Right? So the deal is, is God's nature is that of giving, but he gives us the gospel so that we can give it to others. You thought this was going to be about nickels and noses. Not at all. Because that, you know what? What's really important is the gospel. Getting the gospel where it needs to go on time. You know why? Because souls are so much more important. Souls are what's really the main thing. God gives us his word so we can get it where it needs to go on time. But before you can give the word, you've got to receive the word. right? You can't give what you do not possess. I cannot give you what I don't have. You have to obtain it before you can share it. So God's blessings not only come to you, but they are to go through you. I mean, that's what Jesus perfected, right? Because he's perfection. right? The Father's blessings didn't just come to Jesus. They went through Jesus. And then they come to us, and, God's not, and now God challenges us. Now, what about your volition? What about your will? Oh, i got to apply this stuff? Yeah. So this is what happened. When Paul came to the Thessalonians, they were under a lot of pressure. Uh, there was persecution. Jason, Jason's being yanked out of his house. They didn't have the luxury of, uh, you know, living a leisurely life. But you know what was most important to them? was the things that are most important, should be most important to us. Remember what we read in Revelation chapter 3? Be careful. Be careful what your definition of riches are, Laodicea. Be careful of what you think constitutes wealth. It's not bank accounts. It's not houses. It's not even status. It's not position. No. 
It's how you allow the word of God to flow to you and through you and affect other people's lives. And so, and so the Bible says, as Paul goes to the church at Thessalonica, Jason's getting ripped out of his house. Later on, he reflects as he writes this epistle. He says, for, for this cause also, thank we God without ceasing. You guys cause me to just praise God all the time. Because when ye received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as the, it is in truth, the word of God. He reiterates, he reiterates that. You received the words preached as if they are in truth, the very words of God. They are the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Man, what an incredible thing. I really personally am not so concerned about the bank account. What I'm concerned about is if we did not get 25,425 Bibles put together, New Testaments. If the church body wasn't motivated to share the gospel. The church body is not motivated to make disciples. The church body is not motivated to do the kingdom work that God's called us to do. That is what's so important. That we receive the word of God as it is in truth, the very words of God. Now, you don't have to take my word for it, right? Because we now have been given the words of God. Praise God. So in Romans 8.32, I've already been there. I've got to keep moving. Praise the Lord, because I don't have time to go back up. In John 15 and verse 3, the Bible says, Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. So God not only gives us his spirit, he not only gives us, well, he gives us his son, he gives us his spirit, he gives us his, his word, uh, he also gives us his church. And in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 27, the Bible says, Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. Do you know that you are a gift to the body? You know, Gwaine pointed out, he's like, man, we lost 21 giving units or 20 giving units or whatever it was. And I know where some of those are, and praise God, some were in great places. I don't know all the details. I don't even track that stuff. That's what he does. The point is simply this. You know what's important is that uh, we understand that everybody in the body is a gift to the body. If you're a member of the body of Christ, if you're born again and you're a member of a church, what happens is you recognize that the church itself is a gift to you. My life is forever changed. Now, I want to share a little of my testimony if i got time, because this whole subject is really pertinent to my life in a very practical way. But I'll just, just kind of seed it with this and touch on it a little bit later if I have time. That There was a time in my life where I could have given you a plug nickel for the church. The way I was raised, the way the stories I had been told, the things I had saw on television before the internet back in the day led me to believe that, you know what churches were? They were a sham, man. They were a joke. I mean, I used to watch Jimmy Swaggart every Sunday before, you know, wrestling. And then one day I get in high school and the guy's out, you know, doing whatever he was doing with the ladies. Gets up crocodile tears and he's back in business and then there was jim baker in the ptl club how many remember that anybody old enough remember that oh yeah about 50 percent of you i was but a wee little lad at that time and uh but it was enough for me to just say whatever and then i went to a church on a sunday amy was with me it was my girlfriend at the time and God was working in my heart. It was a January, and, and uh, I was a mess internally. Uh, and I knew I needed the Lord. So I just went back to the place I knew to go, and I rolled in on a faith promise Sunday or something. 
to this church. And the preacher gets up, and he's wanting their commitments. Now, Grant, I've never, that was my first time as a, as a, I was a teenager, but the first time of my own volition to ever go to church on my own. I'm driving my own car. I'm going to church. I'm a young man. And the preacher gets up, and he did not mean it the way it came across, but this is what he said. If you don't make a commitment, you're turning your back on God. Kind of like that. And, man, I got up, and I said, Woo, I don't need this church. God don't need my money. And I, I remember walking out the door saying, that's it for me. I won't tell you what else I was thinking, but it wasn't good. But you know what's so awesome about God's giving nature? Is I didn't even meet him in church. I met him in a public high school. Because a teacher was willing to give of his life. And take the time, and risk his job, by the way, to take and lead me to Christ right there at the, on the school property after school one day. I tell you what, I didn't realize until later, after I got saved, after the Holy Spirit nudged me toward the church, how precious the church is. If you'd have told me the day I got saved I was going to be a pastor of a church, <laughs> are you kidding me? Are you nuts? Hey, I just want you to know I love the church. She's beautiful. I don't have any animosity toward that preacher. I understand now what he was doing. I didn't understand at the time. Um, you know, I don't do that. I don't do the whole thing, and I don't talk like that now because, well, I got a different perspective. But, but I appreciate where he was at, what he was trying to do, and who his audience was. At that time, I was lost, without hope, without Christ. And that's the most important thing every church member, every member of the body has to understand is it's all of our job, isn't it? to reach out to people and share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ because that's the most important thing. That is the issue. And then make disciples after they come to Christ. God gives his church. You're the body of Christ and members in particular. God gives us a place and a function within the body of Christ. He also orders the church in a way that gives blessing to the members. Literally, the Bible tells us in Ephesians 4 and verse 8, Wherefore he saith, when he ascended upon high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts, plural, Unto men, not talking about the gift of the Holy Ghost. He's talking about gifts unto men. And then after the parenthesis in verse 11 of Ephesians 4, he says, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. I just taught on this uh, a couple Wednesday nights ago in Ephesians. You might want to go back and listen to that. But God gave, he gives, he gives the body parts uh, in, in a way that is a gift. There's, Mark Trotter was here last week. He's a gift to the body. I mean, not just our local church, but to all the many churches. I mean, he's a gift to the body. He's an incredible preacher, isn't he? I think so. God gives his church to the world as a witness of the veracity of his word. The fact that he keeps his promises. In 1 Timothy 3.15, the Bible says, But if I tarry long, that thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God. I'm writing all of this to you, Timothy, because it's important how you behave. Which is the church of the living God. right? The ecclesia, it's the church of the living God. The pillar and ground of the truth. In a culture that doesn't know where truth is. That is relative in regard to truth. That is completely pluralistic in regard to authority. There's one place where they sh the world should be able to go and find out there's an absolute standard for truth. 
It's the pillar. It is the ground of the truth. There is no denying that there is a God in heaven and he sits on the sides of the north and he lives in us and we have an absolute standard and that he is a God of love and grace and he'll receive anyone that will repent and call upon his name to be saved. And God is good. He's got a loving nature and we don't deserve anything at all. We deserve hell and yet he gives us all things. Isn't that incredible, church? Man, if that doesn't get you excited, then I don't know what to tell you. That's pretty awesome. It's good stuff. The blessings of giving. Giving is God's nature, right? It's his nature to be a giver. He's a, he's a lover. He's a giver. You can't give like that without a, a heart, right? That's, that manifests his heart. Okay, second thing I want you to see is that giving is a blessing. In Acts 20 and verse 35, the passage I read earlier where, the, where Paul is teaching the Ephesians elders, that he says, you know what? It's more blessed to give than to receive. You know, he, he wants to make sure these leaders understand the, invest, the investing of the blessing of time. Isn't life a vapor? Man, it just appears, you, you young folks, you're over here and you're back there and you're scattered about. I know when you're young, I see some up front here. I mean, you think you're going to live forever. It seems like time's going to go on and on. But boy, it goes so quick. And when you're young, you hear people say that. And you're like, okay, whatever. Yeah, man. And then you get older and you're like, whoa, where did it go? It goes quick. James 4.14 says, you know what? Your life is, well, it's a vapor. It appears for a little while and it fades away. The psalmist in Psalm 39 says, Behold, thou hast made my days as a handbreadth, and mine ages as nothing before thee. Verily, every man in his best state is altogether vanity. You know what that means? That time is really precious. You think your money's, they always say time is money. You know what, time's more important than money. Because you only got so much of it. A lot of you just chose this last week to take time off work, to forego money, to do a lot of things, just to put your life in the Word of God. I can't say enough, I mean, like, praise God for that. That is a great sacrifice. So teach us to number our days. Psalms 90 and verse 12 says that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Teach us to number our days. That is the most valuable gift that we have to offer is our, is our days, isn't it? I've calculated my life if it was 70 years in the midst of a, of a thousand year period since the day of the Lord is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. If I put a 24 hour clock on that, I, I, if I live to be 70, I've, only, I've had like a total of an hour and 40 minutes. I wasn't saved until I was... 16, just about turned 17. And then I've slept a third of that, at least. You know, in God's economy, it just goes quick, doesn't it? You get about 45 minutes to an hour on the planet when you're not sleeping and doing other stuff. And I don't know about being out of fellowship. That takes a long, lot of time. I would just tell you this. Let's maximize the moments we have. I'm going through this series on on, uh, on different aspects of, of heart issues. You know, what's so important is that our heart is right with God. Because I tell you what, you, you don't have time to waste. Time is so important. It's the most valuable commodity that we own. And God gives it to us, again, the giver. And the Bible tells us, you know what, you need to redeem that. You need to redeem that time. You need to redeem that. 
all the other stuff will follow. If you redeem the time, a lot of other things will follow. Romans 13, 11 says, and, and that knowing that the time, that it is now high time to awake out of sleep. Don't slumber, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. What we do in time impacts eternity. What we do in time impacts eternity. Colossians chapter 4 says, so let's get practical about redeeming the time. Walk in wisdom toward those that are without. Make it intentional. Don't walk away from people that are without. And don't walk toward people that are without, without wisdom. But walk in wisdom toward those that are without. Without where? The body of Christ. Without Christ. I was, how many of you remember what it was like to be that person that was without Christ? Man. Aren't you glad someone walked towards you in wisdom? Earl Cross, if you're out there, I'm so thankful you walked in wisdom toward me who was without. And took the time. He could have said, you know what, I'm busy today. You know what, I don't have the time. You know what, I've got to do my other job that I'm supposed to be getting paid for. But he stopped and said, Brian, I need you to come over after class. Or the day after school. I need to talk to you about something. Man, it forever changed my life. And to some small measure, it's affecting us even today. Because a guy took time out of his life to walk towards somebody that was without. Investing the blessing of a talent is so important. You got your time, but you also got talent. In the, in the parable in Matthew chapter 6, many of you know that parable. Jesus rebukes the man who buried the talent, Remember? And he's like, man, don't, don't do that. And, oh, actually, that's Matthew 25. I got the wrong reference. In Matthew 25, 25 and 27. The Bible says, Lay not for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, nor thieves break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know what Jesus is saying in Matthew 6? Is that where we put our investment of our time, our talent, and our treasure is ultimately where our heart's going to be. You put, all your, you put all your eggs in the financial bar, the market, guess what? That's where your heart's going to be. And when it takes a dive, your heart's going to take a dive. But every good investor says, hey, diversify, man. You need some gold. You need some silver. You need some precious stones. For you financial folks out there, you know what I'm talking about, right? I'm not talking about financially, just the physical gold, silver, and precious stones. But every wise steward's going to say, you know what? I can't afford just to put all of my eggs into what the world has to offer. God has offered a kingdom. He's offered an opportunity to invest in things of eternal value. And if you're in this church, we're about real battles, right? We do not want to waste God's time or our own time or other people's times trying to come up with things to do to keep ourselves busy. We're really wanting to look and seek out real opportunities like this opportunity that God has provided to help out Halira Chabwana and the, the Passion Center in, in Malawi. But in, if you're around here much, you know we've got, we got a list of things <laughs> going on both here in Cass County, around the world, that we're, we're trusting the Lord are, are real significant battles, so to speak. I don't mean that like you know going to war physically, but spiritual initiatives that God would have us engage in as a local church, whether we're 100, 200, 2,000, it doesn't matter our numbers, 
what matters is that we invest in things that are eternal. Not just our money, right, but our lives, just like you guys have done. I'm preaching in the choir. You guys are all about that. But don't be that one. I don't have time to read it, but you can go back and read Matthew 25. Don't be that one that says, well, God, I, I had my talent and I, and I buried it. He says, what? I did not give you your talent to bury it. I gave you your talent to invest it. Do you know some of the most talented people in the kingdom of God are not investing there? Because the world's wrapped them up. I remember that tension in my own life. It's great training, great, great to be a project manager and engineering and all of those other things in the, in the industry. But at the end of the day, I'm like, man, I cannot, I cannot invest my life here forever. Because it's just not eternal. It was exciting to see things I draw get put up in real time. It was awesome to see ductwork so big I could walk through it. I mean, it was awesome. I was like, wow, this is cool. And then it was wild to see something you drew five years ago get torn out, and you're redoing it again. And it's just a cycle. More money, more money, more money. And then you start to learn it's all about the money and what it can buy. And you know what it, can, it cannot buy? It cannot buy the love of God, and it can't buy the peace of God. And there's only one kingdom worth investing in, and that's the kingdom of God. So don't bury your best in your career, and then give God your leftovers. Hey, use your career. Let it fund your ministry. I told someone that the other day. Man, I, I enjoyed working in the industry because it really was a great uh, fun. It funded my ministry really well. And they laughed out loud at me like I was making a joke. And I was kind of like, you think I'm kidding? Uh, yeah, it was a great opportunity. I loved it. In that regard, it was wonderful. It was a great training experience. There's nothing wrong with doing that. I, I'm just saying that make sure that you don't get so caught up in the, the things of this world that you forget where the real riches need to go. The hours the body of Christ donates each year at this church is immense. In camps, and cleaning the building, mowing the grass, teaching children in VBS, taking missions trips, holding Bible conferences, vision conferences, uh, all the stuff that we do, it's, you guys give so much. It's incredible. And at the judgment seat of Christ, man, you know what? God's going to be glorified because you're investing the blessing, the, tr- the treasure that God has given you. Now, I understand not everybody here really is at the same place. I want to remind you that in Acts chapter 20, when, Jesus, when Paul was speaking there to the, the elders from Ephesus at Miletus, he was t- talking to the elders at Miletus. He wasn't talking to everybody in Ephesus at that time. And he was reminding the elders at Ephesus, at, uh, from Ephesus that the Lord was a giver. And he was, he was reminding them the blessings of giving. And he did that because, well... Not everybody's at the same place. And I just want to encourage you, no matter where you are, just let the God, God have the next thing. For me, there was a time when I was without Christ, and I, got, I gave God my heart. I gave him my heart. And, I, and that's all I had, and he took it, and he redeemed me. You know how much I wanted to give financially to the church at that point? What do you think? Zero. Nobody strong-armed me. Nobody told me to do. And guess what I did give to the church? Zero. And I just went through discipleship. It just so happened the man that led me to Christ 
at one time in his life had a lot of things. And then God took him through a journey so he would get saved and robbed him of his things and put him in a terrible job of teaching in a public uh, vocational school to teach him a lesson. But by the time I got saved, God had restored a lot of his blessings because he followed the Lord. He got saved, his wife got saved, and he still had the Corvette and all that other stuff. So I was like, cool. But you know what had changed? He did. His heart was different. And he was a giver. He gave me the gospel. He's still a giver, isn't he, Amy? Generous. Generous guy. Discipleship, though, changed my life. Not by what he said. Uh, We went through lesson 10 and 11. But by what he lived. And he'd say, Brian, you need to go to church. All right, Earl. So I finally went to church. Brian, you ought to come to our church. All right, Earl, I'll check out your church. And he wisely worked with me. And then one day, I'm like, hey, man, there's this campus, Old McDonald's Farm, and Man, I, I wanted to go. I was, I was just working. I was working fast food, and, and I'm 17. I'm hanging out with 30-year-olds, you know, and I'm like, hey, I'm, I'm going. They're like, okay, I smell like a hamburger. I'm on, I'm on my way after work. I work all day. I get in the car. I smell like grease. I go to this conference, and, man, this guy, is, he's just preaching, and he's preaching the Word of God, and he's preaching the Word of God, and he's preaching the Word of God. And, man, they, they, they pass a tin cup around and, to take up the offering, and I can't, I'm getting in my, my wallet, and I'm taking everything I got. Not of constraint, but willingly, of a cheerful heart. Because I don't have enough money to thank God for all he's done. And I'm throwing it in that can, saying, thank you, Jesus. And that began something. And then Earl went on to teach me about how to, what giving was all about and tithing. And, and guys, in my life, that's just been part of my life. I don't know anything else. Since I was old enough to make money on my own, I've been giving God at least the first fruits. And I can't, I don't regret it. And that's just obedience. That's not even doing anything. That's not sacrifice. That's not an offering. That's just saying, God, I can't even begin to say thank you enough. And the blessings come. You know what really happened, though? It wasn't about finances. I use that as an example because in our culture, that's a big deal. But what it's really about is God changing someone's nature. Is our nature changed? You're like, I don't want to give that money. Don't give the money. If you don't want to give it, don't. Please. Don't do that to yourself. You think we, we don't need your money. So just be cool. Relax. As you were. God owns a cattle on a thousand hills. I'm not even worried about it. It's for real. If we need, if, hey, oh, what about the budget? What about, hey, if I got to get a job, I'll get a job. I ain't worried about it. I really am not. I was working when I started the church. I can work when we end it. It doesn't really matter. That's not the issue. But what is at issue is our nature. God wants us to have a different nature. Sometimes God needs to remind us the blessings that flow to us got to flow through us. Paul wrote to the church at, at Corinth, and he says... Uh, Every man according as he had purpose in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. God doesn't want you going, oh my gosh, oh. Keep it, man. That's not what it's about. 
Oh, I got to go serve at church again. Oh, well, go home and get some rest. 2 Corinthians 8, you know, Paul had to encourage. Sometimes you do need encouragement. I needed encouragement. I needed encouragement from Royal Cross to teach me how to give. And he was an example. He'd gone through all of it, and he lived it, and he still lives it to this day. Paul goes to the, the, the Corinthians. He says, hey, guys, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed upon the churches of Macedonia, how that in great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded into the riches of their liberality. That's a fancy way of saying these dudes gave more than they could afford by God's grace. For to their power I bear record, yea, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves, praying us with much entreaty that we would receive the gift and take upon us the fellowship of the ministering of the saints. If you read between the lines there in verse 4, it's almost like Paul saying, we were like, no, that's okay. Guys, that's too much. Please. I mean, and they're like, no, no, take it, take it, take it. And Paul's like, guys, I'm going to Corinth. <laughs> they're loaded over there, you know. And they're like, no, we want the blessing. And they just, they gave with a heart that was cheerful. You know, about the time you think you cannot give, God will introduce you to folks who define the joy of giving sacrificially like Christ. And that's why around here we need to take mission trips. We still need people to go to Mammoth. I just invited some to Malawi. There's others on the town that it will come if the Lord allows us to travel. Some of the richest people in the world literally don't have a pot to go in or a window to throw it out of. So Paul's comments to those leaders there, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It wasn't given to the entire church at that moment. He gathered the leaders together and is showing them with his journey to Jerusalem with the offerings that he's taking and his desire and willingness to sacrifice his own life. He's telling the leaders that, hey guys, if you're going to be in the kingdom of God right now in the first century as we're trying to get the gospel to go forward, you better be willing to give more than money. You better be willing to give your life. Because you never know what's going to be required of a leader. So the blessing of giving. Giving God's nature, it's his nature. Giving is God's blessing and I've got to be done so I'm going to be done. The same passage. Let me quickly run through this. Giving brings God glory. And that's where I've got to wrap it up. Because investing is in, in knowing God's word is the key. Investing in growing God's church. That's what God wants us to be involved in. And then lastly, investing in glowing for God's, God's glory. You know, the Bible says, If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. You know how giving, you know how much Paul the apostle was changed. He was so changed. That he said, he said uh, in Romans 9, 3, that if it were possible for me, it was possible for me to, be, I wish I, w- I could be accursed for my, for my brethren, the nation of Israel, in, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians, or in Romans 9, verse 3. He's like, if I could actually give my entire salvation and spend eternity apart from God for the sake of others, I would do it. But God's like, no, Paul. I've sealed your soul till the day of redemption. Don't allow the world to rob 
the glory of God. Because if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. Lest, lest the light of the glorious gospel should shine unto them. The most valuable thing that you possess is the man, Christ Jesus, who possesses you. And you know what? That's what really matters when it comes to giving. The blessing of knowing Christ. God who has come to you wants to flow through you so that other people could know him and the power of his resurrection. Man, how can we keep that? How can we in our own selfishness keep that from anybody? One day very soon we're going to be caught up together with the Lord in the air and we'll be standing at the judgment seat of Christ and it's at that time that we'll be It'll all be manifest, what we did in the body, whether it was good or bad. And then, and then you'll be lighting it up. You'll be glowing like it talks about in 1 Corinthians 15, right? There's different magnitudes of glory. And the crowns that Paul speaks of, right? Which we know are, you are, he's talking about the people, you are my crown and rejoicing. All that glory, all that praise, all that God has done is going to be cast at his feet. Because it's all about having something to give back to him. That's all it's about. How's your nature? How's your nature? How, are you being a blessing? Are you looking for a blessing? Give me a blessing. Are you wanting to be a blessing? Is our life giving glory to God? Or are we robbing God of his glory? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to serve you, to give our lives for you. Lord, we thank you for the offer of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord, the privilege of being disciples that follow you and, and, and be involved in your mission of taking the gospel to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth to share the love of Christ everywhere we go. And Lord, I pray this morning as we conclude this time that your good hand be upon us. With heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around. If you're one this morning... and you're like, Brian, I need to be saved. I, I just need to get that done today. Anyone at all say, Brian, that's me. I need to be saved. Anyone to my left, to my right, in the middle? I pray that this was a, a, a morning that was encouraging for you um, as we talked about the blessings of giving. And this morning, maybe you're one that says, Brian, I just need to need some prayer. Let's stand together. As a matter of fact, let's stand in an attitude of prayer. And as we stand, if